Hello, friends, and welcome back. Uh, I hope all of you are well. I know myself. Um, I'm recording this prior to the finale of Chernobyl, so I'm I'm kind of scared. I'll be honest, but I'm eager. I'm eager. So hopefully, not going to be disappointed. So come publication, hope this is going to be good. Um, but either way, um, in the midst of waiting on that finale and trying to discover some of the films that were mentioned in last week's podcast, um, which is a harder task than you can imagine. Um, I feel like I'm breaking into Disney's vault. Um, in this case, though, it's uh, not so much Disney as I guess it's the realm of horror and all sorts of disgusting, vile things. Looks like Zeus has decided to enter the recording studio, so my apologies if you're picking up any panting on the mic. Thanks, Zeus. Thanks. Um, But anyways, um, in the midst of all of this, I stumbled across... um, Actually, it was mentioned on... Well, I'll admit, I was reading Daily Mail. Not the best of, you know, all of those kind of newspapers, but it was just sort of for fun. But anyways, I came across an article saying that a majority of people were feeling revolted and sick due to this new Netflix film. And I'm going to spoil it. I know uh, the perfection. I know. I usually wait till after the trailer, but we'll listen to it. We're still going to listen to it. Um, But it just basically caught my attention very similar to the film Raw. Um, You know, people are feeling so nauseous and sick. So, of course, what's what's my, you know, brain got to do with it? Uh, Of course, I want to see it. So before we dive any further, let's quickly listen to the trailer. What is happening to me? I'm burning up. It's gonna be okay. Oh, it's not. Oh, God, it's not. Listen to me. Something is wrong. Something is wrong with me. Lizzie, I know. That's why we need to get you help. I'm dying. I'm dying. What's happening? Oh my god. What's happening? I don't know. Oh my god. What is it? I don't know. Mom, what the fuck? The trailer says, guys, it's time to face the music. Um, Fascinating film. I'll admit, I got about 20 minutes in and I stopped it. Not that I was sick or grossed out. I just, the opening bit, I just felt like while you're trying to introduce the characters, it just felt very forced and it just wasn't, wasn't what I was looking for. It just didn't catch my attention. And you know what? I just thought, fuck it, Cass. You don't end up liking it. It's still going to be an interesting topic either way, right? So force myself through it. And you know what? I was actually pleasantly surprised. This has some interesting twists and some really interesting um, cinematography and direction that it decided to take. Um, And the story itself, 
it's strong in a sense. It has some really interesting twists, some neat turns, um, and presented well. But it just the long lasting effect, I guess, is what I'm looking for. That rewatchability, that like, oh my god, that you know, the saw effect, if you will, um, Silence of the Lambs, all of those films that end on a twist that brings you back to the very beginning. This just didn't quite capture it. I mean, it's trying, but it's just not there. Um, in, in essence, I guess a Jordan Peele film, if you will. And kind of fitting that we have, of course, um, Alison Williams in it. <clears throat> but either way, it's still worth watching I highly recommend each of you should check it out. Um, And those of you that uh, did already and are listening to this podcast, good for you. Good for you for watching it to the very end. So 2018 American horror thriller thriller film uh, directed by Richard Shepard. It's a screenplay by Shepard, Nicole Snyder, and Eric C. Carmelo. um, And starring Allison Williams, Logan Browning, and Steven Weber. Um, So premiere Fantastic Fest September 2018. Uh, 20th, 2018, and released May 24th, 2019. So, essentially, this film is going to be heavily inspired um, with, like, Korean cinema, which I don't know a whole lot about, but it basically was brought to my attention, you know, watching, like, anime, all that kind of stuff. It's very much, in a way, like the twists that make this film, you know, upsetting, and that's very normal for, you know, Eastern cinema. So, it's it, it, once I figured, found that out, kind of gained a whole other appreciation for this film, and the music. I don't know. I'm just a sucker for that old classic timey kind of stuff, you know, from just Bach piano. Um, so hearing the cello to me and some of these classic composers was just fantastic. I just absolutely adored it. So diving into the plot. Um, we're basically introduced to Charlotte Wilmore, a talented cellist, um, and she's forced to leave Bakoff, uh, this prestigious school in Boston. And essentially, we're dealing with her terminally ill mother, and it very much flashes very quickly here. We're kind of seeing a very quick wrap-up of what's going on in Charlotte's life, and you kind of get a sense that this poor girl has been sheltered and neglected, and it all had to do with the fact that she was taking care of her ailing mother. But either way, Charlotte flies off to uh, Shanghai to meet the school and their new, where the school is selecting a new student. And of course, following up with their most prestigious student, Lizzie, um, who essentially replaced her after her, uh, you know, after she left. So through all of this, the girls basically quickly become friends and their relationship turns sexual, essentially. There's no other way to put it after a night of clubbing. And I get it, you know, you could sense there was some heavy, just vibes coming between the both of them, but just some really shitty writing to try to say that. Just, I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe I'm wrong. If you feel differently, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to start a discussion about this. I just felt like they could have played the relationship a little differently. So we wake up the next day and Lizzie is hung uh, we're all of a sudden Charlotte's offering ibuprofen um but of course she offers it to her with a couple bottles of booze but I guess the hair of the dog the bitch yeah but either way um Lizzie you know suggests they that she Charlotte come with her on the back trap backpacking trip through Ural, rural China um she's embarking that day and essentially en route that's her illness becomes progressively worse Charlotte offering 
additional ibuprofen. Um, essentially, you know, Lizzie just gulps it down and her symptoms become so much worse on the bus. She becomes basically uncooperative, um, aggressive. And the worst part, she's, well, we don't know she's hallucinating. We don't know this till the very end of the film. Sorry, spoiler, but it's, Essentially, we think she's throwing up bugs, she's got something inside her, and we were introduced earlier on that there's some sort of disease in the area, and it's, you know, this kind of all feeds into Lizzie's growing paranoia, and um, basically leading the bus driver, who is quite upset after Lizzie had a little bit of an episode, and uh, leaving, well, she's had two episodes at this point, but he leaves him stranded in the middle of nowhere, and this is where the true horror begins. Lizzie starts seeing the bugs crawling out from under her skin. Charlotte is telling her, oh my God, oh my God. And this is where out of nowhere, and I even made a little note while I'm watching it. Like, WTF, what the fuck's with the cleaver? Um, you know, it was like an old timey cartoon. Like, you know what you have to do. And it, it didn't make sense. And I'm like, what's going on? So at that point, she pulls out the cleaver and Lizzie dismembers her own arm um and we're instantly cut away to three weeks later where we see anton and paloma paloma giving a selected their selected student a tour you know how prestigious they are she's a chapel this acoustically acoustically perfect room um and uh, essentially this is when lizzie arrives and they discover her hands missing. So she recounts the events to Anton and basically how she was, you know, found unconscious at the side of the road with a tourniquet around her arm and that, um, you know, adamant that Charlotte orchestrated the whole event out of jealousy and that initially Anton's quite sympathetic and then the next day, total flip, kicks her the fuck out. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of heartbreaking, sort of sad. Now, Charlotte is back home in Minneapolis and no, she just just making dinner. And lo and behold, Lizzie returns and tasers her. And we cut very quickly after to Charlotte arriving to Anton um, in the school's uh, parlor. Now, through all of this, and I'm forgetting to mention, it's done in chapters, very much Tarantino style. So, you know, we start with the beginning I think it's done in four parts um, in total, but I thought it was really neat and it would flash and rewind back to tell us from a different perspective each story. So what originally starts like one of the worst dreams you could ever imagine, you start to discover that essentially Charlotte was drugging Lizzie with a um, hallucinogen and uh, essentially it was leftover medication from her mother and these effects were escalated by the use of alcohol so you kind of put it all the all together and you realize at this point that charlotte can't be trusted or at least so we think and interesting enough um tying into what i said earlier about jordan peele charlotte as we know was in get out and we were originally meant to trust the actress you know allison williams and we didn't by the end of the film we realized that she is you know just as guilty as every other member in that film and we, well, we, the director wants that untrust to carry forward as us, the viewer, sees this film. So kind of interesting that he tried to tie that all together. So back to where we're at. Lizzie's kidnapped Charlotte. Charlotte's been brought to Anton and Charlotte 
wake up, wakes up on Anton's couch and reveals she's intentionally orchestrated Lizzie to dismember her own arm. And the plot was spurred by Charlotte seeing a photo of Lizzie in a magazine bearing a musical note tattoo. And this is when we start to discover that, you know, it's not just a revenge plot between the two of them. This school, Bakoff and Anton, is one sick motherfucker and everybody in there as well. So essentially it's built on this sex cult. Uh, it's just meant to abuse children and it's been that way for decades going back through Anton's fathers and generations. And it, you get this story told from young Charlotte's perspective um, about how fucked it was for her and essentially you know what they did when she made a mistake performing in this soundproof room the chapel and you know all the psychological torture that brought and then being sent home to her mother through all of that she you know is sent to institutions dealing with all sorts of things until that brainwashed cult mentality is cured from her for lack of a better word and essentially um you know it's it's very upsetting in a way. I it just, you know, you're like, could it get any worse? I just, you know, just, just for Lizzie and Charlotte and everybody. It's just, ugh, these guys are disgusting. But either way, Charlotte's bearing the same tattoo and it basically shows that you're part of this musical group, The Perfection. And Charlotte, you know, was enraged at her being put in and essentially you know, just knows what she had to do to achieve that. So you realize that both women are kind of just as mentally unstable, or at least so you think, because there's more twists to come. So um, Anton brings Charlotte to the chapel. She's all dressed up and she's forced to perform in front of the new student. And you're basically given the impression if she doesn't do it right, they're going to punish that young girl. Um, And you realize that after that, that's not going to happen. You know, they're Still going to punish Charlotte. And she does make a little mistake. And essentially, after the performance is completed, Paloma escorts the young girl out of the chapel. And um, this is when Thies and Jeffrey bind Charlotte. And there's this whole gang rape scene. Yeah, like I said, this film is just constantly building up on that shock value to make you uncomfortable. So that happens. This is when Lizzie threatens to essentially rape Charlotte with her stump. And um, out of nowhere, Thies and Jeffrey just collapse. And this is where our last plot twist returns. And it kind of takes over like a spit on your grave sort of revenge. So we discover that the two girls are working together. And rewind, Lizzie actually part poisoned the guy's drinks. And, you know, the two women begin to kiss. And essentially, you realize that this was all a plot to render... Lizzie expendable to the academy and essentially bringing Lizzie to her senses because there's no way she could put Lizzie through all the same sort of you know um, therapy that she went through to to achieve that so she went a pretty drastic route in my opinion I'd like to think that you know you could convince me otherwise but perhaps that's not the case you you know may have to lop off your own arm so essentially you know, we see Anton, he's just chilling in his lobby and he finds Paloma has been drugged and stabbed to death and he is confronted by Charlotte and Lizzie with meat cleavers and knives. And of course, the two women begin to uh, go after him. There's this big wrestling scene back and forth, some neat camera tricks there. And um, 
really disgusting scene where Anton gets hold of the knife and just mutilates Charlotte's arm. It was pretty nasty. Um, and uh, Lizzie knocks him unconscious. And we're not really given a timeline, but essentially you're just flash forward to seeing Lizzie and Charlotte in black and white as they approach the stage of the chapel about to perform for a very disfigured Anton. He is missing all of his limbs. His mouth and eyes are sewn shut and all that's left is just his ears. So all he can do is just listen. Um, And the girls essentially, you know, are both missing the opposing limbs. So they compensate for each other and perform together. Um, So yeah, that's it. That's all. Now, if you didn't catch on, uh, if you look at the title poster, you'll see that the E is flipped around to face the F. That's our ending, folks. You know, just like the two girls are meant to complement each other, the E complements the F, forming everything together. Um, And I thought the film, you know, altogether, once we got to the end, was fairly decent. Like I said, we had this neat kind of chapters, Tarantino style with these rewind scenes, which I thought was really interesting, a really neat way to kind of tell this story. Um, All In all, though, what was some very interesting twists is just... A plot that I think from different writers may have been told stronger and just may have just, like I said, held up on that rewatchability or even just portrayed these twists that much more breathtakingly. I have no idea how to phrase it. It just, you know, I didn't have that same sort of feeling that I did watching Saw is a perfect example. At the end of that film, I instantly wanted to rewatch to catch all the little things I guess this one kind of rewinds and tells you that instantly to show you. So you kind of already see the rewind and it's like you're rewatching it. But it just, again, didn't have that same feeling. It's weird. I mean, if you could talk with this sort of admiration towards a horror film, because I feel like I sound like some sort of psycho, but it just, it doesn't hold up in that same sort of realm. But I'm still still happy that I watched it. Um, I love, love the strong female undertone or undertones, the strong female tones in this film. Um, you know, very two strong female leads, Alison Williams and, uh, <clears throat> uh, Logan Browning. These two knocked it out of the park. They are compelling performances from both women. Um, and in my opinion, some pretty kind of kooky roles to tackle, especially for Logan Browning, um, Lizzie's breakdown, well done, because it's a bit of a hard scene to tackle, especially the, the poop on the bus scene. I don't know how I, I personally could have done it. I hope you were paid well. <laughs> but, um, you know, each character does add add a layer to this film, um, including the young Lizzie and young um, Charlotte. I felt they both need a nod, um, you know, for their performances because it's a hard role to play. So production in September 2017, it was announced by Miramax. They produced and financed the film and Rip- Richard Shepard got behind it. Now, I did find a quote that I guess um, he, you know, basically said from any other perspective, this is was shit. And <laughs> it kind of made me laugh a little bit because, yeah, it, it, this film very quickly in the any other hand could have been shit very quickly. Um, and... I'm glad it was his because he still made it a very good film. Well, not very... Well, he made it good. Could have been better, but still good. Uh, now, Nicole Snyder and Eric uh, Camello, they would join in with the screenplay, um, as I said earlier, and Bill Block for producing. And um, cast would quickly quickly sign on uh, late 2017. 
now the release. Um, the film would premiere at Fantastic Fest in uh, 2018. And shortly after, Netflix, of course, scooped this up. So guys, if you haven't watched it yet, there is no excuses. I feel like everyone's got a Netflix account nowadays. It's, you know, the more obscure people that have well, I guess me, Crave being Canadian Hulu for those of you in the States. And gosh, I have no idea what everyone's listening to over uh, over across the big pond. <laughs> what listening to, uh, watching. Now, um, once you see this film, there's an interesting presence of circles throughout it. Um, and you'll see it on the chapel, in the chapel, on the bus. It focuses to the circles, you know, on the top horn. And it's in reference to perfection. I mean, a circle is an endless, you know, cycle. Or, well, yeah, it is an endless cycle with no corners, you know, nothing that ends it. Um, and this also represents, sadly, the cycle of abuse, which these two women are going to break. And as I said to me, I felt towards the end, especially with the final twist, a very refer a very heavy reference to I Spit on Your Grave. Um, which is like probably the first reference to like female revenge, you know, getting back at the horrible things that were done to them. Um and from that film on there's no clean cut way to do that kind of cinema. So don't watch this film if you're eating or, you know, plan on eating or have a very queasy stomach because there is some pretty nasty scenes, but I wouldn't make it as gut-wrenching as, say, Raw. That one, I remember literally turning away from the screen. Same with The House the Jack Built. You know, there there are films with worse, worse stuff, but maybe I'm just hardened from my years of horror viewing if you know i'd love to hear your sides of things so if any of you did watch this film and you know i want to hear your reactions maybe you were eating maybe you weren't reach out to me on instagram or twitter because i'd love to hear about it <laughs> as weird as that is it just it might be funny um so reception wise this film actually is re received very well um holding 83 percent a strong 83 percent on rotten tomatoes um and you know essentially it I think it has to do because a majority of the website's responses basically lead with the fact that it's held held by the women's per compelling performances, and I totally agree with that a hundred percent. And of course, the gripping thriller with its twist and cutting wit. Yeah, I give you guys a six on the cutting wit. It, it just wasn't bad, but the twist could have been told better. I think I've said that for the, like the twelfth billionth time. So um, wrapping up here quickly worth watching guys some great great cinematography um interesting twists and turns and some, you know overall just nasty gore if that's what you're into and as i said some very interesting um classical arrangements we've got bach we've got mozart we've got handel and among some non-classical uh tracks which you will hear throughout um you know from the chromatics deuce mob um and uh gizzy three bands i have never heard of up until the moment that i uh you know watch this film so that's it all that's it that's all guys thank you for listening to kind of this more relaxed kickback episode and um you know it's it's always a pleasure always a pleasure to record these for you guys it you know just adds a little little light in my my dark day now um as always, guys, I have to ask you to reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter. If there's a film you want me to cover, 
any improvements, anything like that, I always love to hear from you. It's a, you know, it's a fascinating world we live in and I just love each and every single one of you for listening. So, you know, I just love to hear from you. And, uh, those of you feeling eager enough, leave a review on iTunes as of course this does help me in the long run and just sort of legitifies everything that I'm doing. And as always guys, take a look at beardly.designs. The guy is knocking it out of the park and using the code creepercast creepercast <laughs> using the code creeper10, you will uh receive mad discounts at checkout. So again guys, that's beardly.designs and that's creeper10 for mad discounts. Thanks again guys. Keep calm. Stay creepy. <laughs>